Welcome back for episode 18 of Self-Signed Artist. Today we're sitting down with Sawyer Auger, an artist who shows us all that nurturing relationships with a core group of fans can open up a world of possibilities for your music career. You're listening to Self-Signed Artist, the podcast that helps independent musicians run their brand like a business. Now, your hosts, Kobe Nelson and Jake Mannix. How's it going, everybody? I'm Kobe Nelson. You know me. Jake Mannix is here. You know him. Hey. But also, (laughs) Sawyer Auger is with us. Welcome to the podcast, dude. You have no idea who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you don't know who Sawyer is, but Uh. we're going to have a good time on this podcast And thanks for being here, man. This is going to be cool. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, brother. Of course. So I'm really excited to have Sawyer on the show today because he's got a great story. And every time we talk, like we were just talking on the phone the other day, every single time we talk, I always end the conversation all pumped up and like (laughs) ready to go do something, you know, like I always get inspired. So I'm hoping that we can get everybody out there listening that same jolt of inspiration through our conversation today. Absolutely. So I'll give I'll give a little bit of your background, Sawyer, and then we'll we'll kind of dive into some questions and just talk about your career because I think it's super interesting. I think people are going to learn a lot from it. Cool. So Sawyer is a singer-songwriter performer based out of Los Angeles, and the two of us actually go way, way back, like to the little village of Gales Ferry, Connecticut, where we both grew up, right? Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And and I think we even played peewee soccer on the same team when we were like four. Do you remember that? Uh, you had a bowl cut. You looked fantastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Kobe had the bowl a cut. Significantly <laughs> bowl-ish bowl cut. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's up That's with awesome. that? What's up, what was up with that look back then? Why is that a thing? Why was that a thing back <laughs> when we were kids? It's just like your parents just put a bowl on your head and that was the way to do it? I don't know. I never got my hair cut with the bowl, but I might as well have. It was it was pretty That's rough. So bizarre. It's like a weird haircut. I think it should come back. <laughs> <laughs> with the bowl. Well, the bowl cut's gone now, but <laughs> those days were, were were pretty nuts. I remember you were you were a super good soccer player. That much I remember from like the peewee soccer days. I don't want to brag or anything, but yeah, I was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, there, there's there's history there between us. I went to a different elementary school in another town, but then I came back and in eighth grade, that's kind of where we really got to know each other. And from then on, like up through high school, like we were playing in rival bands in talent shows, <laughs> like singing in choirs this kid, together. This kid decided that he was going to have a band called uh, Nameless to Say, right? Yep. <laughs> Nameless to Say. And they decided that I wasn't going to be in that band. They said, nope, Sawyer oh. won't be in this band. So I had to make myself a band and we I had to call I had to call myself the freaking Peshkimos. That's what we were called. <laughs> Phil, Eric, Sawyer, and Kyle. And then it all it all went downhill because Kyle quit the band and joined the other band. Eric quit the band and joined your band. So it was me and two <laughs> nerd band kids called Peshkimos. It was horrible. That I don't remember at all. I don't remember that being the Dude. thing. I just remember playing in the eighth grade talent show and being like so jealous of your song and being like, oh, 
That's that, hilarious. Like that. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. I love that you were we jealous. We both had like the four chord, like classic pop punk. Yeah, I was talking about how I've been through so much love in my life. I don't even think uh-huh. I kissed a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but how did you actually get into music? So was that kind of your introduction to songwriting and all that stuff, being in those bands? Or, or were you kind of like doing that stuff for a long time beforehand? I grew up with a friend who's your friend as well named Eric Bowles, who introduced me to music. Um, that kid, wherever I went with him, he would always listen to the weirdest music. And like, I never really was in, the, <laughs> like I was always, like I liked music, but it's like he loved music. Like he was all mm. about it, all about like the whole image of music, rock and roll lifestyle. And he was like one of my best friends. So like, I kind of just, he was like, let's make, let's play guitar. I was like, yeah, let's play guitar. And then that's how I got into it. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. He, I think he got me like simultaneously into Lamb of God and opera, (laughs) like at the same time. He was that kind of person. He was the dude that would come into my car when I was like 16, when I just got my license. And every time he would have a CD ready to go and it would always be the doors always it would always be the doors and on the way to school we just you know and we would just jam out all the way to school and then that's how i just was like man i like music yeah so so how did that transition for you into actual songwriting then because i mean playing playing guitar and stuff with friends is one thing but like you transitioned over to to trying to do your own thing pretty quickly i think Yeah, I remember uh, my brother had a guitar when I was like in fifth grade and he was taking guitar lessons in middle school. So he had to buy a guitar and I couldn't get one yet because I didn't have money, obviously. But when he would go to bed, I would go downstairs and play the guitar in the basement. And I just kind of just didn't even know how to learn songs. So I just made up songs. So that's how it wasn't even like me like, oh, I'm writing a song. It's just I wanted to play. So I just made stuff. Gotcha. From there, so like up through high school, that was kind of what you were doing, the the band thing. Walk us through a little bit about how this became the thing that you were doing full time, because I think that transition for you, like going from just playing music, writing your own stuff for fun in high school to actually moving out to L.A. and doing this like as your full time gig is a pretty interesting story and i don't know like it it's it was always an inspiring story to me because it seemed like you really really just like went for it i think it all started when i was younger man i think we're really all have that thing where we daydream no matter what when we're younger about something like we just have a daydream like you when you're six years old or seven years old and you're daydreaming about something it could be about anything that is i truly believe is what you're daydreaming about is what you're supposed to be doing in life so like i can remember when i'm six years or seven years old being on a stage not even playing guitar but i can just see a crowd of people in front of me and i just saw people laughing and joking around and dancing and then when i was a kid I always just was like trying to be the center of tension doing putting on shows I just knew I liked entertaining people it was a way of I always got made fun of when I was a kid because I was too small or I had no teeth when I was like from age three to nine years old I had no teeth so I had a lisp and like I had speech therapy all through my like school year so I had a lot of (laughs) ammunition for bullies to make fun of me like a hundred percent people could just make fun of me so I thought the best way to get rid of that is to make them like be like entertained by me instead of being 
the butt of the joke, I will become like I'll become the process of the joke, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I mean, I always had that feeling. And then in high school, um, we were in carolers together. We used to sing. <laughs> yeah. I remember at, in like New York and I remember we played. Car- we did we didn't play we sang carolers at this golf course and this rich guy gave us each fifty dollars yeah and right there in my head i was like man i didn't work at all and i just got paid 50 bucks <laughs> that's like <laughs> like and that's the most i remember working at like golf courses and getting paid six dollars and fifty cents for at like for two hours of work so that really kind of sparked my mind i was like okay you can make money actually like singing like you mm-hmm. can make money performing and then I did golf all through high school. And then it was just a blessing in disguise, man. Um, I I got in a severe uh, accident where I was longboarding and a car hit me and shattered my ankle when I was 17. And I was bed rest for a whole year. I had metal in my ankle. My leg was like up in a sling. And I always did music, but I never really thought I was going to do it for like a living. And then during that time, I played music in like literally my bed for hours and hours and hours and day. And then I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, I'm not good enough to become like a professional golfer. So like worst case scenario or best case scenario is going to be me selling T-shirts at like a pro golf shop. Right. (laughs) Uh, And and I was like, I can't do that. So after I got like like out of my bed rest, I remember always just saying like since I was a little kid, I'm going to be rich and famous and I'm going to move to California. I, I know that sounds stupid and crazy, but I always said that. I would always say that. And then one day I was up by the pool with my mom and my dad and I was like, ah, the, I was kind of like in a, in a weird area. Where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Ah, like, you know, just what I don't want to go to college. There's nothing to do there. Like I'm going to need to move to California. And I remember my dad saying, then go to California. He's like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, move to California and do it and stop talking about it. And then I was like, all right, cool. So um, <laughs> I got into like, <laughs> you know, I started doing, I wanted to see if it was possible first, you know, if I could, I didn't want to just move out to California and without taking a leap of faith of like doing shows around town first. So I, I, I was in a band with one of my buddies and um, we used to play at restaurants around town in Mystic, Connecticut. And we made some money and we're like, all right, we can make songs. And looking back at it, we sucked. We were horrible. <laughs> like I can't even, pe- I can't even believe people uh, booked us. It was crazy. So uh, we did that. And then I kind of just got to the point. I was like, man, I'm going to be so angry at myself if I'm like 30 years old. And I look back, I'm like, oh man, I wish I moved to California. I like, I wish, I wish I just, even if I went home the next day when I moved out there, I just wish I did it. So I said, screw it. I packed up my minivan and moved out to California. Just, <laughs> just thinking like sunshine state, Hollywood, baby. Like it's going <laughs> to be the best thing in the world. And I remember the first time I drove down Sunset Boulevard, dude, I legitimately thought I was in hell. Like I remember driving down and there was like people doing like crack on the sides, like people like screaming for money. There's there's homeless people everywhere, like just a city of homeless people. They say it's a city of angels. It's a city of homeless people. Like it's just homeless people everywhere. And I remember looking at my bud and we both looked at each other and we're like, dude, what did we do? <laughs> well, like, oh my God, I can't, I cannot believe we moved here. Like, Has you ever been to California before? No, dude, not, I, 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 I'm not kid. I was like Hollywood, baby. I seen it in the movies. That's what it's gotta be like. like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's such like a huge leap though, where you're just like, you talk to your dad, you say, I'm, I gotta move to California. And he says, do it. I feel like most people would be like, I was just, you know, like dreaming and saying that, but like you got up and you did it. Yeah. 
a lot of people don't jump off the cliff, man. A lot of people are on that cliff looking down, always saying like, I wonder if what would happen if I jumped. I'm a big believer in that. Like when you jump off a cliff and I totally did and I totally hit the ground, I've totally hit rocks on the way down. But at some point your parachute will open up if you drop, like if you jump off the cliff, mm -hmm. you just got to jump to make sure like, it's like you're jumping, right? And if you stay up on the cliff, it's always going to be like, I wonder what happens if if I did jump. But if you jump, you're going to be like, oh, geez, this is horrible. This is <laughs> this is horrible. This is horrible. I, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then boom, your parachute opens because you get one thing that happens that you wanted to happen. And slowly but surely, you start floating. And then when, when you start floating, then you start soaring. And then when you start soaring, you start flying. And then you're freaking on your way. So, so for you moving out to California, like you just said, there there is that kind of like moment of shock when you first got there, was there, yeah. what was the moment for you where you kind of realized, okay, like this might actually work. Like I'm, I, I might be able to do the music thing full time out here and this could actually be a thing. Probably like two years after I moved out here. It took that long. A hundred percent. I remember moving out here and my first thought was like, I got to get a job. I'm broke poor. Like I am broke. Like zero dollars in my bank account. I'm talking probably negative to be honest. I probably had a credit <laughs> card that I'm a hundred. I'm not, not even joking. I was broke, broken than broke. So I was like, all right, I got to get a job. So my whole first like six months out here, I was a telemarketer at a, uh, at a, uh, uh, construction company. I used to call up people and be like, Hey, this is Peter with KNS eco-friendly. Are you looking to do any home improvement inside or outside your house? <laughs> We're looking to do solar panels in your neighborhood. Like I would do that from <laughs> eight in the morning to 4 PM. And then I would get out and then I would skateboard down to a restaurant out here called Togo's and I would make sandwiches from 5 to 10 p.m. And I did that for six months. And then in between, I would try to play music at nighttime. And that was just like local gigs at bars and restaurants, like that sort of thing? Didn't even didn't even have gigs, man. I would just street perform. I would, uh, I would go out, play, get play on like the street and like play. And then a lot of times I, didn't, I was still like perfecting my craft. I was... um. I really, I've always had this thing. I think that helps me a lot is I always think I'm better than what I am. <laughs> if that, like, I always think I'm really good, but it's like, I'm not that good. Like I look back at videos now and I'm just like, man, I was horrible. No, like it's hilarious that someone believed in me in music when I back then, cause I was, I was horrible. I was horrible. <laughs> Absolutely. Even though I thought I was great. But that's, but that carried you like that, that, that sense that. I, it's so, that's so funny that you say that because I feel like most artists are the opposite. Like they get really, really down on themselves. And because of that, they never, they never do anything. They never like make that jump, like to move out to California. So that's kind of an interesting mindset and that you're also playing on the street without a get like were, were were you making any money off of that at all at the time oh pity money people that felt sorry for me and thought i was homeless <laughs> which i was like 100 percent. like dude i lived in my minivan for three months when i moved out here um i used to take showers at la fitness i would skateboard to be honest though saying it right now it was one of the best times of my life mm -hmm. like i was in la I was cruising. I, I wish I had that feeling still to this day. I can't explain that. When you move to a new spot that you've always wanted to move to, and then you're finally there, there's this sensation of, it's like the first time you ever see a roller coaster and you're about to go on a roller coaster. Imagine having that feeling for three months of mm. just like, just, just like waking up and be like, woo, 
Like, look at the beaks. There's palm trees. Like, holy crap, that's freaking Cardi B. Like, oh my God, that's Jim Carrey. Like, like, and you see these people. Like, it's not, it, you see these people because you're living where they live now. So I remember skateboarding on on Santa Monica Pier. I would skateboard every day with my shirt off and my guitar. And I would just cruise down the freaking boardwalk with my guitar playing as loud as I can. And it was just the time of my life. It was literally, and I was broke, poor, like broker than broke. I was I had nothing. Every time, anytime I got a dollar, I would, that would be for food. <laughs> so how did, how then did you end up doing the gigging thing? Because that's kind of like where I first heard about you being out there and like, like seeing these things that you were doing and you were playing a ton of shows, like what was it, like eight or nine shows a week at one point? Yeah, man. So it was, it's weird. Um, okay. So let me, let me backtrack a little bit. I did the telemarketing thing. Right. And then I remember calling up my dad and I said, dad, my dad's a huge supporter. Like you got to have people in your life. It's your mm-hmm. parents, your friends, or so you got to have someone that's your cheerleader, like a person that literally is trying to push you to get to that next level. If you don't have that, you're, you're screwed. Cause you can't, you can't, um, you can't do it by yourself. So I remember calling up my dad. I'm like, dad, dude, I was like, it's been three months. I've worked like at this job. I'm quitting. I can't play here. I didn't move out here to be a telemarketer. And he's like, well, he, I remember him saying, he was like, well, you better, if you quit, you better do something with music and you better do it quick. And I was like, you're right. So I remember quitting that job. And then I walked down to the Whiskey A Go Go that day. The Whiskey <laughs> Go Go is a famous venue in Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, I'm sure some people have heard of that. Yeah, yeah. And I walked in with my guitar case because that was something I wanted everyone to know that I was a musician. So no matter where I went, I had my guitar case on me. I would go get gas and I would walk into the gas station with my guitar case. Mm -hmm. Just so if maybe I ran, who knows who you're going to see? Maybe I run into someone that's like, you play guitar. I'm like, I play guitar. And (laughs) I just wanted them to know that I was a musician. So I remember walking in there and they're setting up the stage because it's like three in the afternoon. And the guy, I just walk in, the guy goes, hey, are you for the audition today at four? I was like, yup. <laughs> no, no idea who that was. And he's like, all right, go upstairs. Elizabeth is waiting for you. I was like, holy shit. Okay, here I go. Walking up the stairs and I go in there and, and she goes, who are you? And I go, um, I want to play music here. And she goes, did you just walk in here? I was, I was like, well, he said there was an audition. And I was like, I'm down to audition for a spot. And she started cracking up. She was like, <laughs> so you're telling me you just walked in here, said yes, that you were supposed to perform here. And now you're playing in front of me. And I was like, yep. She's like, all right, play me a song. I was like, okay, here's my moment. So I played my, I played a song and she was like, great. You sound great. Do you think you could sell 30 tickets in two weeks and get 30 people here? And I was like, yep. She's like, all right, each ticket is 10 bucks. That's $300 you have to pay to the venue. And then anything up above that, you make the money. I was like, easy peasy. I can do that. So, And meanwhile, you know nobody in LA. Dude, I don't know a soul, man. So first thing I do is go down the street with my tickets. And I just said free tickets. That's what I said. I said, you know what? I'll, I have, I had probably had like a thousand bucks in my thing. I was like, it doesn't matter if I make money on this. I need people to be here. Like, that's what I need. I need people to be here so they can see that I brought a crowd and that they'll like me. So obviously I'm going up to every hot chick I can see. I'm like, it's going to be a great show tonight at the Whiskey Go-Go. I didn't even say I was performing there. I would say Sawyer Auger is performing there. Even though that's me, 
I didn't want the <laughs> artist to be saying, hi, I'm Soy Raga. I'm performing at a show tonight. I, yeah, I thought if I was talking about myself in a third person, it would seem cooler. So I, I was like, you got to go see this kid. He's crazy. Are you, it's unbelievable. So the show, I get to the show. Zero people are there. I'm talking no one. I'm talking it, it is. You could hear a pin drop on the floor. And, okay, so there's maybe, like, five people there, right? Some <laughs> old dude, some other old guy, and, like, maybe one girl. And I played, and after I played, um, this guy came up to me and said, hey, man, I really like your stuff. And I was like, thanks, dude. He's like, you should come to my house and record. And at first, I thought he was kind of, you know, like, get it on with me, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> like, it was, it, was, it was a weird vibe. But I was in this whole thing where I was like, yo, dude, I'm saying yes to everything. Like, I'm, I am <laughs> just going for it. So I, I went to his place. And sure enough, dude, he's been in the music business for a while. Um, he's, he has, he's had Grammys. He's been on TV shows. Like, he's did a lot of stuff. And we we started writing music, but from that it kind of made me realize. Um, sorry, I'm backtracking a little bit, but being able to go into a place and getting a show within two seconds, I'm not knowing anybody. I decided I was like, all right, I need to play open mics. Like I need to start. I any the the whole thing was I just need to start playing. Like I just need to start playing in front of people. So. After that happened, I made music with him and I started street performing. And then uh, I eventually made an album with that gentleman. And I, I was finally had product. I finally had something to show people when I wanted to play there, right? That's the main thing. People are like, I'm a great musician. The first thing they're going to say is, where can I hear your music? Right. If you don't have any, you know, if you don't have anything, then you're not a musician yet. You're just a guy that says you play music, which is pointless. It's, you got to have something, you know? So, uh, Universal Studios is right up the street from where I live, and it's a big place. It's like an outdoor mall, but um, they have musicians up there, and I would walk up there because, to be honest, you could get free food sometimes. There would be like <laughs> <laughs> they 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 would like throw away donuts at the end of the night, and I would pick them. I like not pick them up, but like I would ask like, "Hey, you gonna chuck those out? Can I have those?" Straight up poor man, like I am poor. And I saw people street performing and I saw like these crowds, like really good crowds. And I was like, how do how? so I went up to one of the street performers and I was like, hey man, how do you how do you street perform here? He's like, Oh, you gotta talk to Stuart. I'm like, okay, who's Stuart? He's like, he's the he's the manager of like he's the uh, music manager up here who who books everybody. I was like, all right, what's his email? And he's like, you just call CityWalk. So I call CityWalk, and this is how this is the key thing to any musician that's listening out there right now. You are going to get told no a thousand times. A thousand times. Keep going until they say yes. Until you have a police officer at your house saying, you need to stop <laughs> harassing this person. Keep going until they say yes. I can't, I cannot express that enough. So I called, hey, my name's Sawyer. Um, is Stuart there? I'm looking to do music. Uh, he's busy right now. You can leave a message. Okay. Next day called same thing. Next day called same thing. This went on for like, dude, this went on for like four weeks, four weeks. And then, okay. I was like, all right, the way I'm trying to get to Stuart is not working. So I called up and I said, Hey, this is security down, uh, at the lower level at city walk. I need to talk to Stuart right away. Boom, Stuart picks up the phone. <laughs> and I like just like that. And I go, Stuart, my name is Sawyer. I've been trying to contact you for the past four weeks. I'm a musician. You need to have me play there. 
and he started cracking up. He said, is this not security? And I go, nope. I said I was security. I need, I need you to hear my music. And he goes, all right, send me an album. So I did. I sent him an album. Waited a week, nothing. Waited another week, nothing. The third week, I get a call from CityWalk. I see it like I know the number already. And I pick up and he goes, hey, this is Stuart. Listen to your album. I love it. When can you perform here? So it wasn't an overnight thing. It took like two months of like hard dedication and like figuring out a way to get in there for him to finally allow me. So that was my first gig, street performing up at CityWalk. See, that's that's such a good thing for listeners to hear, though, I think, because for all artists, like you said, like you're gonna hear no a lot. And even worse sometimes than no is the like silence. Like you said, like you call somewhere, you can't get a hold of somebody. It seems like it's just taking forever. Like you're never actually going to be able to get a hold of somebody. You got to get creative and get your foot in the door. And I think a lot of people just are a, a little too, too worried about like making somebody angry or like, you know, I don't know, offending somebody that they, they don't, yeah. they don't do that. They don't call up and pretend to be security or walk into an audition that's not your audition and be like, hey, I'm here for the audition. Like, I, th- I think that's one of those things that a lot of people need to hear. And I think you're a really, really good example of somebody who just like keeps going. Because we'll, we'll get to the later parts of your story and, and where it's gone more recently. But I think a, a big part of the next parts that that follow after this initial gig is a lot of that, like keeping going. So I, I, let's let's actually talk about that a little bit. So this was your first like big gig that uh, you got booked for that kind of opened up the door for other kind of similar gigs. So tell us a little bit about after you had kind of gotten going, getting all these gigs, playing street performing, doing the, the city walk thing. You, I know you played a lot in like bars and restaurants uh, and, and venues like that. Like walk us through how that kind of went over time. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I was street performing up at city walk, this gentleman came up to me named Damien Bronner, huge, huge shout out to Damien Bronner. He owns a surfboard shop in Dana point and he used to book bands at whiskey go, go. And like a lot of like a lot of like huge bands, like guns and roses. Um, he, he used to book tons of people and he was walking by and he saw me street performing and he said, Hey, do you want to play in Dana point? play at this restaurant that my friend owns. And I said, absolutely. And that was my first gig. I played out in Dana Point and it was for like a hundred bucks for three hours. I drove two hours there, played for three and drove (laughs) two hours back. But I right there was probably one of the happiest moments of my life because I was getting paid to play music. And then from there, it's really just honing in on my craft. I just started playing so much that I got better and better. And then, you know, I was playing at one restaurant and one restaurant read to another restaurant. Someone from, uh, you know, someone just said, you should play at this restaurant. And this is a huge thing too. The first lesson I learned was about the security gig is don't ever say you need to get the, okay. So when you call a restaurant up, you're going to talk to a host, right? So think of what a host looks like. Okay. Mm -hmm. What does a host look like? It's usually a female or a male who's in their young teens, right? Yeah. Right. They don't know shit. Okay. (laughs) They have a, they have a job that they want to keep. And I can guarantee you the manager says, if it's not important, do not bother me. Like, Mm -hmm. so when you call up, Hey, I know you got music there. 
I'm a musician. I would love to play there. Oh, yes, yeah, so you can give me your email and you can email this person. Dude, that's going to take forever and you probably aren't going to get the gig. So this is how you do it. Listen clearly. One of my main big things that have secrets of how I get gigs. I call up. I say, hey, I'm a musician that plays there already. I play there on Friday nights. I'm a little, I think the schedule's a little messed up. Am I supposed to be there this Sunday or not? One second, I'll get the guy that books it to talk to you. Boom, in the door. Right away, I say, hey man, I play down the street. I don't play anywhere down the street, but I say I play down the street. And they told me that I was really good and that I should call you so I can play here because my music would fit perfectly for your restaurant. He says, okay, sure. Literally, it's that simple. It's thinking outside the box. It's just mm-hmm. something so simple that people are like, oh no, I can't do it. Just think, think completely of what anyone else is doing because what anyone else is doing is not working. Like, I hate when people are like, here's a, here's a, a book with everyone's booking agent number and here's a restaurant with all the restaurant names where you can play music at. Well, you're not going to get in the door if you can't talk to the main person and you can't make yourself assertive enough to ma- let them know that you are the real deal. So that's a, a, a huge way I just got in the restaurants is just bullshitting them, like just literally <laughs> like telling them what they want to hear. Yeah. And that's fake it till you make it. That's I can't I can't stress that enough. It's a hundred percent fake it till you make it. And and you completely built a a solid career off of that. Like how how long did you do the the show thing uh in, in restaurants and stuff? I did after I got the Waterman's gig, I probably did a year of like playing four shows a week. And then the next year I probably did like six shows a week. And then my third year, I probably was doing like nine shows a week. And then my fourth year, I was playing every single day, three shows on Saturday, two shows on Sunday. I played over four hundred shows a year. Jeez. That's insane. It was crazy, man. It's a it lot. was crazy. Yeah, it was it was um it was crazy. I don't know how else to say that. Like it was some, it was, I was working so much. I wasn't even realizing what was happening. If that makes sense. And and like, that's getting more up to, to current times, right? Were you like burning out at all at that point? Like, that's just a lot. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I would be in traffic for hours thinking to myself, oh my God, like I know people that are on tour right now. I would look at Instagram and see some of my friends killing it on like shows and doing like the voice and American Idol and like just uh, just murdering it. And I'm here in traffic, driving to a place where no one wants to hear my music. I'm background music. And like, you know, I get told all the time, can you turn down your music a little bit? You know, it's a little <laughs> bit too loud. Yeah, man, I was burnt out, but I knew, I knew I just had, I don't know why I knew this, but I knew I just had to keep doing what I was doing. Even though I did feel like at a certain point after like the fifth year of my music playing, I was at a plateau. Mm. And I was getting really, I was getting very anxious because I was like, all right, I've been climbing this whole way. And now I've like stopped and like camped out and I felt way too comfortable and I did not want to be doing what I was doing anymore. So what, what was the thing? Cause you're, you're not doing that anymore as a a spoiler. We'll we'll get into what you are doing now. (laughs) What, what was the, the thing that helped you make that transition? So I, I guess to to set the stage a little bit, right now you've kind of built a career and a following around virtual shows, essentially doing live streams for your audience and selling merch around that. Uh, you have you have some crowdfunding going on. So walk me through how that transition happened. Okay, so I'm a big believer. 
and like putting what you want out into the universe. Like I listened to Jim Carrey talk about how he would wait up in the hills and like just say, I I live in that house. I am a huge actor. I'm a multi-million dollar man. I am making millions a year. And then he even wrote like a check. Everyone knows the story. He wrote a check. But the, what people don't understand is that he wasn't just saying it. He truly, truly, truly believed it. He said it so much that he believed it. He said it so much that when he would drive down the hill, he thought he was the biggest Hollywood actor. He thought he was the biggest actor in Hollywood and no one knew who he was. So I kept on saying my whole, like, since they're out here, I, I would always say to myself, this is just a stepping stone. One day I'll be able to play music from wherever I am and I'll make that for a living. I would say that constantly. And then I would say it so much that I actually felt that like of how good it would feel. I would laugh sometimes. I'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it would just be like constant. I'm not saying if you just say it, it's going to happen, obviously. You got to put work in. You got to like, I played countless, 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 countless shows. And then uh, I got to a point where... I didn't want to do it anymore because I felt like it was at a plateau. And to be honest, it's a blessing in disguise. I think everything happens for a reason. And I think me saying what I said kind of like was like, for instance, COVID happened, right? COVID, COVID happened. And right away, my shows were getting canceled left and right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Huge blow to your whole business right there. Yeah. Anyone that's a musician during COVID, we were like, whoa, what's, what are we going to do now? You know? Especially if you're like a working musician, meaning you're playing shows every day. Like that's how you're doing it. So it was happening left and right. And then certainly enough in April, I had no shows. Okay. So uh, making no money, complete, just nothing going on. And right away, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make an album. This is a great time to make an album. I mean, I hope everyone else is thinking that. What I didn't want to do is do nothing. I wanted to do something. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to create music. And I started creating music and I started creating songs and made songs. And I was like, this is so much, like, I love doing this. Like I, I kept on saying, I was like, I wish, I wish I could do this just for a living. Like, I just want to do this for a living. And then I was like, you know, maybe I'll try going live on like Facebook or like Instagram, you know, and just really like do what I do at my shows and just perform. And I would do it. And sure enough, like my mom and my dad and maybe two friends would be watching, right? <laughs> Like that's how it happened for like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. And then I was looking at other Facebook pages and like trying to find artists and musicians similar to me and groups similar to me where there's engagement on their videos, where people are actually getting looked at, where if you go into a live video and you see someone performing, there's comments left and right going up and up and up, right? So I slowly started doing live videos and getting... And, and doing live videos in groups where I knew people would be watching. And groups are like, there's like public groups. There's public groups anywhere. You can do any, there's, there's any groups on Facebook. You, you could have a public group, a Ellen DeGeneres fan page. That's a public group. Right. And you can join that group and you can go live from that page if you want to. So I started doing that and, and um, it just, it kind of just started to, it's, the machine started to happen. Like I started building a machine. Like I can't. It was kind of complete luck, but it was luck that I was really prepared for. It was something that I've been honing in on my craft for over seven years of playing live music. Now I'm just doing it through like a telephone and people that want to hear the music are actually there wanting to listen to it. So I did it, man. And within the second week, I would have a thousand people watching me on my lives. It would it happen like that. It happened so quickly. Yeah. I mean, is there anything that you can point to? Because I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure, especially during COVID, a lot of people 
maybe our listeners too have tried going live on Facebook or through whatever platform just to to try and keep the concerts going, keep that same feeling of, of, of playing shows and everything. Is there anything that you can point to that you've done that made a really big difference as far as like getting people there or converting fans out of that? Because that's one thing that I've seen through your live streams is that pe- the people who are there are true 100% dedicated <laughs> fans to you. Yeah. Like they love you. <laughs> <laughs> they, are the, they are the best people I've ever met in my whole entire life. I love my fans so freaking much, and they know I do. I say, I tell them all the time. I reach out to them. I message them on the daily. It takes me hours and hours just to message people. Like I know that sounds crazy, and you're like, "Oh, good, good for you. Like, good for you, messaging your fans." Like, <laughs> if you don't message the two fans you have right now, you're stupid. Message every single fan you have and make them feel so special because they are. They like you. They like what you're doing. They're your record label. They're that per. I hate when people say you need one person. You know, only one one person needs to hear your music, and your whole life can change. What kind of fairy tale are we living in? Like that's not what's happening. You need a thousands of people to like your music. The one person that's in the crowd that likes your music, that's that special person. Now keep them and get more of them. You know, like I think it was just me being really genuine with my art. Meaning not trying to act like something that I'm not, if that makes sense. When I perform, I really let it all out. Like I, I'm telling stories of like my past life. I'm telling things that I wouldn't even tell like some closest my friends. And I'm doing that because I want them to see why my music sounds like it sounds. I want, you know, I want them to feel what I'm feeling. And I know people are like, okay, but how did you get the fans? And I didn't get any fans. I just did what I was doing and they came. Like, I don't know how else to explain that. But then you were able to connect with them. I mean, that's something that we've talked about on this podcast before in a, a few different episodes. I mean, we've we've talked about creating a or having having like a cause for your brand or, or something like that to try and make a connection with people and then building up that relationship over time to where eventually fans feel like they can confide in you almost. And that's what I see going on with your fan base is they feel like they can, they can tell you things. And, yeah. and, and did that just come from you telling them things? I, I mean, I know you have the, the, the black heart is something that has kind of become like a symbol within your fan base. Uh, can, can you tell us about that and how that kind of came to be? Yeah, so I've uh, always had anxiety in my life. Like, really, I've always had it. Um, and especially in, like, my early 20s when I moved out here. You know, obviously, I'm broke poor, and um, uh, I'm homeless, and I'm <laughs> trying to be a rock star. And I've always kind of had anxiety. But around my friends, around, like, people, I'm always like, just like, everything's great. I'm living the dream. Best, I'm the, like, nothing's wrong kind of thing. And with this, I just kind of wanted to be open about everything so and when i mean everything i literally mean everything so like i would play show like a live and i'd be like man i just feel like i can't focus like i'm just having anxiety about not having anxiety like i don't even know why and i and i was just like i just want this place or this area this space where you listen to my music to be a space where if you have anxiety or any mental issues, you can feel welcomed and you can feel not alone. And if you want to talk about it, I'm down to talk about it. 
and people wanted to talk about it. And then it's just, it's the coolest thing is being able to have a fan reach out to you and say, your music has saved my life. And then I'm able to reach out back at them and I say, no, you listening to my music has saved my life. Like, it's a crazy thing. I'm still not used to it, to be honest. This, the past four months have been the best four months of my whole entire life. And it's so weird to say that because I'm not even playing shows in public. And I think that has a big thing to do with if I was just a person playing show in public and you saw me, I wouldn't be a big deal because you see me right there. I'm, I'm just a person playing music. But we're in this new era where a virtual world is going to be the new thing. I truly believe that. I think um, what we're doing right now is going to be way more common than going and getting coffee. Um, mm. It's This is what it is because of everything that's going on. And so when you see me on a cell phone or your computer or a, a, a screen, I'm somewhat kind of like... And uh, I hate like, you know, like when you see like an Instagram influencer or something and then you see him in public, it's like if you if you saw them before that, you wouldn't think anything. It's right. just because it's, well, it's like you're on TV almost. Yeah, it's basically like I'm running my own TV show. That's what right. It, it's, that's 100 percent what it is. So, so with the, the black heart became like a symbol of of that kind of cause that that mental. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, I completely skipped over the black heart. <laughs> the black heart is uh is something I wanted them to relate. I wanted them to have something to represent what we were talking about. And I thought a black heart is very kind of just the perfect symbol for it because it means you got love to give, but you also been through some pain and you might have anxiety, but you're still willing to go through life and still trying to live life to the fullest. And I thought the black heart was the perfect thing. And yeah, we all agreed upon it. And it, it kind of just happened organically. And that's been that's become a big part uh, of your business overall, too, because and I find this is one of the things I find really, really interesting about your business model and how this has kind of all happened is that you you've you've been able to create this like merch brand around this black heart but but the thing that i find kind of funny about it is that it didn't really even come from you like it wasn't that you put out all this merch and stuff and, and were hoping people were going to buy it it's like your fans demanded it from you a hundred percent they wanted they wanted to represent what we were talking about yeah. I get messages on the daily. Hey, you should do cell phone cases or hey, you should make um you should make keychains or and I'm like, you guys want that? Like you guys want cell phone case? You want you want my name with a black heart on a cell phone case? That's what you want? They're like, yes, we need that ASAP. And I'm realizing it's like it's not what I'm doing, it's what we it's what it stands for. And it stands for so much more than just music. It stands for we are making a a movement where we're trying to take away the stigma of mental illness and a way that we're doing that is by connecting through my music. Exactly. It becomes so much more than your music or you or yeah. them or the the thing, the live stream. It's yeah, it really has become a a cause that people are signing up for. Yeah, and it's it's unreal, man. And I love it cuz I can finally like every sale of certain items on my website, a dollar of every sale goes to the JED Foundation, which is a org nonprofit organization that helps young teens and adults with mental illness. It's awesome. And yeah, it's, it's, um, I freaking love it. I love that I'm able to give back to something that I'm really passionate about. And, and that's something I think that a lot of artists 
think that they need to kind of design that, you know, like, and, and even the way that we've kind of talked about it on this podcast, sometimes it, 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 I think people get the sense that like, you need to sit down and think like, what are these people going to respond to so that I can make merch that I can sell to them? You know, like it kind of comes from that end of it. And I think one of the things that's really key to your brand working so well is that it wasn't about that in the first place. You know, it was about the cause. It was about the cause tied to the music and helping people through the music. And then the merch is kind of like the natural progression of that. Like it didn't, it's not a contrived thing. One other thing that I do want to talk about before we finish up is the, the personal songs part of what you do as well, because I think that's a really cool idea. I don't know how you do it and how you <laughs> sustain it because it's so yeah. much work, but I, 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 I want to let, have you let people know about that because I think that's a really cool idea. Um, so I do this thing on my website, um, SawyerAgra.com, shameless plug, um, <laughs> of I write personalized songs for people because I always tell my stories and before I sing a song. Like if I saw a song I wrote, I try to tell you the story of why I'm singing this song. And then it kind of just came organically um, when I was talking to my friend and he was like, you know what? Like he's like, we both said it, it was like, everyone has a story, you know, and, but not everyone's a musician, not everyone's a songwriter, but everyone, everyone, no matter who you are, you have a story. So I kind of just did this thing where I was like, I didn't even put it on my website yet. I just said, Hey man, if you have a story, um, I would love to write you a song because I'm trying to write more music and I would love to write it. And then right after that happened, I got so many messages like, that's so crazy. I was just about to ask you if you can write me a song. Like, <laughs> and, and you know, I'm like, oh, okay, it's happening. So it just happened, man. And um, I'm up to 33 songs and I probably have to write another 24 more at least. It's crazy. And each song I write is a story that's just Unfreaking believable. They think, you know, I'm doing them a favor, but they're doing me a favor. They're allowing me to create, which I love doing. I love creating music. And sometimes the hardest thing of creating music is having writer's block because you don't have right. anything to write from, you know? Um, I can only write about my life so much. It's, I, you know, I haven't lived my whole life yet, but some of these people have lived life and they've lived hard lives and they lived happy lives and they lived sad, love, uh, so many emotions. And now I'm able to take what their their story and i'm able to bring it to life and it's the best thing in the world yeah it's really cool and you've been you write these songs record them uh and, and give them to the the person who's who's bought the song but then you also kind of put them together into to albums afterwards and and it's a really cool thing where it's just like everybody's stories all kind of compiled together yeah it's um they're my record label they're black heart records um that's what i called my 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 record label when i put out my music now i just put black heart records they're black heart records they're they're the people that are listening to my music they're that's them it's crazy it's really it's crazy and it's so so different from what i think most musicians are out there doing and how they're thinking about putting out records because, you know, everybody's out there thinking like, okay, how do I get on playlists? I got to make these songs and I got to get them on playlists. And that's how people are going to find them. And then somebody's going to hear this song and they're going to connect to it. And enough people are going to form this emotional connection with the song that I'm going to end up with a bunch of fans. But you've kind of come at it. You've broken that rule. Like 
you've broken a lot of the rules, I, I would say, that, <laughs> that kind of come with the modern music industry. But you're it, you're making it work because you're you're coming at it from a, the real direction where it's coming. It comes from the fans. So I think that's uh, that's been a really, really cool thing to to watch you do uh, and an inspiring thing to watch you do too because like you you get a bunch of cool material from all these people's stories that you're able to to put into your music so yeah yeah i think uh i think spotify playlists and stuff like that if you're an independent artist it's really overrated it's something that you shouldn't make a song to be like this would be perfect for this playlist you should make a song to be like this will be perfect for this fan or this fan or this fan and then if you get on playlists, cool. If you don't, who cares? I I could care less about being on a playlist. Want to know what I do care about? I care if 100 people get that song on my website mm. because that's 100% better than any playlist. Right. Well, I guess we're getting close to the end of our time for the episode. What are you what are your plans now going forward with the the rest of your career? I I'm curious to see because this was kind of a a business that was built out of COVID, out of quarantine, but it's it's now become it's kind of taken on a, a mind of its own, and it's it's got legs. Like it's it's going to continue past that. What are your plans now for expanding that into the future? So I would say the best thing now that I'm doing is just putting out content as much content as possible. And by content, I mean music. So many people have music in the, like their computer that they never put out and it makes me so angry like i have so many songs that i don't think are perfect but i put them out because people want to hear them and it's like even if you don't think it's perfect it's perfect to someone so right now i actually just put out an album today um it's called afternoon vibes a live acoustic cover album that's on spotify and to be honest it has more plays than an album that i had on for two years and one day which is mm. mind-blowing because Insane, it's just yeah. people <laughs> Yeah, it, people want to hear it. It's it's they want to. I, I finally got a fan base for people want to hear my music. So I've just put that out, and now we're actually a song that me and you worked on called Sweet Tooth is going to be coming out September twenty first, and this will be uh, very exciting for me. Um, this is going to be the first single that I put out that's an original song that I actually have put out to people to listen to. It's not just like I hope someone listens to it. No, it's like. I know they're going to listen to it, so I really hope they like it. You have that that fan base already that is ready to Yeah, you know they're going to like it already. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm extremely excited to just because after that song, I have another one, then I have another one, then I have another one, and then I have another one. And it's just going to be it's going to be like that forever. I'm just going to always put out music and I'm cuz you never know what song is going to be the one that people connect with the most. Right. And you're always on top of that because you're always connecting back with your fans. Like you're messaging people every day. A lot of people. Dude, during this during this podcast, I've had ten people call me on Facebook, um, <laughs> and I've just I've just declined everyone. And it's um, after I'm done with this, I will be messaging them every single one. I'll be like, how can how can I help you? Because yeah. you already help you are already helping me. Yeah, and I think that's the message that a lot of our listeners need to hear. Like that's. That is how you build and treat your fan base. Like they are your family. Those are your family. They're your family yeah. and they're and they're your record label and they're they're yeah, they're everything to you. So treating them that way and, and giving your full attention to them, I think is like one of the big, big, big takeaway messages 
from your story and and what you've been able to build. So I think we're we're just about out of time. I mean, there's so much that we could continue to talk about. We'll talk. We talk all the time, so <laughs> we'll still have to <laughs> yeah. talk about uh, a bunch of other things. And maybe maybe uh, down the road, as this kind of develops more and more and more, we can have you on again in the year update or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see where I'm at in four months from now. Yeah, it's it's an exciting time, and I'm really really excited for this song to come out. Uh, like you said, it's it's called Sweet Tooth, coming out on September 21st, uh, which yep. will just be about a week and a half after the release of this episode. So yeah, everybody should go go check that out. Spotify, um, Apple Music, Sawyer Auger. If you're not listening to it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, thank you, man, for doing this. Uh, yeah, man. You're one of those people that always gets me amped up. So I- I'm really glad that... Our listeners have been able to get some of that today, too. And, and to all of our listeners out there. I would say to the listeners right now <laughs> listening, shut off this podcast right now. It's a great podcast, but go get your shit together. Go get your music <laughs> together. Go write music. Go write a song. Go find a fan. Like, if you're sitting in your house right now thinking about what to do, you're doing the wrong thing. Do something. Do something. Like, I don't know how to explain that enough. Do something. Stop listening to people. They're trying to tell you what to do. Do it. Do something. Make something happen. It's so easy. I hate <laughs> screaming at you, but you need to listen to this. Go <laughs> do something. Like if you need a sign, this is the sign. Go do something. Make something happen today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, oh, I'm too tired to make this song. Oh, tomorrow I can make the song or the next month I can do this. Like right now in this moment, I don't care if you're driving. I don't care if you're on your, working out right now. Stop what you're doing and start the process by just putting your foot in of making what you want to happen, happen. Perfect. I saw I got really excited. You heard it from the man himself. Get out there and apply some of those strategies I mean, story's proof that you don't need to follow all the rules that the record industry tells you are important. You can build a career for yourself on your own terms. All the marketing release strategy and playlisting and campaigns and blah, 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 blah. All that's great, but it's just tools. Your message, yep. your brand, and and everything that you build around that is what makes you valuable to your listeners and to your fans. So above all else, make sure you put in the time and work on developing those things. If you like this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star rating and a written review right there. That really helps us get these episodes out there to other artists who can benefit from this podcast and people like Sawyer. Yeah, go do that. We'll catch you on the next episode of Self-Signed Artist. Peace.